the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and it is Halloween. Can't believe we made it to Halloween already, and it has already snowed. <laughs> this is our first Halloween together, Brian. Our first Halloween together. That is a true statement. Isn't it? Yeah. Are we trick-or-treating together tonight? What are we doing? Bobbing for apples? <laughs> I I despise that game so much. It is a weird game. It's so bizarre. Keep your head under... It's like so no. close to waterboarding that it's like... <laughs> it's half torture, but for kids. Yeah. <laughs> but, for, but you get an apple when it's over. Yeah. What a reward. If I was bobbing for... You know, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, maybe. That's a good point. Although then you'd be all wet and soggy. Reese's no, Peanut Butter no, Cups. No, it's encased in the plastic. You don't unwrap them. Mm, if you're really playing. If you're playing by the rules. If you're playing by what rules? By the Reese's Bob- Peanut Butter Cup <laughs> bobbing rules that don't exist because it's not a game? Yeah, absolutely. So we hope you're out there uh, trick-or-treating, having a great day. It is freezing, so uh, I don't know what that does. I feel like people should give more candy to people who brave the cold like this. The kids who brave the cold. Oh, like that's this. fair. We're gonna make some uh, like steam cider and give that out to nice families and kids and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Is that adults only steam cider or is that uh, all, everyone? Or is there? Why would you both? ask me that over the air, Brian? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't just for everybody. Yeah, it's yeah, family friendly cider. Oh, wonderful. So we hope you uh, <laughs> are having or will have a good Halloween. As we talked about yesterday, uh, as Christians, let's use it. Uh, let's use this time when people are out of their houses and knocking on doors and together as neighbors to uh, to be engaged with our neighbors and share the love of Christ. Agreed. So it's a good opportunity. Uh, all the rage over the last couple uh, last week or two has been uh, since Kanye West's album dropped. There's just been so much conversation. You and I talked about it a couple days ago about uh, is Kanye West? Uh, do we uh, do we celebrate him as a as a you know? Uh, modern day Saul of Tarsus, or is is there? Uh, should we have a skeptical eye towards Kanye West? A lot of articles being written. People are getting lots of articles on Kanye West these yeah. days. Uh, and I think something happened last night or two nights ago that was uh, that was a good reminder of what we talked about the other day. Let's celebrate what's happening in his life, but let's be really careful not to make him or parenthetically anybody kind of a Christian celebrity. Like now we've got a celebrity yeah. on our side, so let's hold him up. Uh, because did you see any of his uh, appearance on James Car- uh, Corden's Carpool Karaoke, which instead of being in a car, happened on an airplane? Yeah. I don't know if you saw any of it. Uh, but I think two things happened on that one episode, I think, that caused us to be super excited about what's going on with Kanye West and causes us to have some pause. Uh, and so first, uh, he did uh, his uh, his song, which what's it called again? Jesus is King. Uh, in 
the plane with all these backup singers. And I don't know if you saw it, but it was spectacular. Yeah. And there he is on this show, this late night show, singing his new song that is just uh, that is pretty gospel. It's pretty uh, holding up Jesus for people, pretty unapologetically Jesus. Wait, uh, James even asks him, what do you like do in your free time? And he goes, I read my Bible. Mm. And he goes, seriously? That's what you do? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. Like it was, it was this really kind of honest exchange where I don't think that's at all what James was expecting mm-hmm. him to say. And he's like, no, yeah, that's, that's, uh, we don't like going out at night a whole lot. And that's just something, you know, my wife goes to bed early. I, I go to bed early. I like waking up and reading my Bible. And it, it honestly seemed genuinely genuine. It yeah. was very, it was a very interesting interaction. Yeah. And so we should celebrate that, right? The people who have had a skeptical eye of going, I don't know, this seems like a publicity stunt or this, whatever going, man, this fruit is cool. Let's keep praying for him and encouraging. And it's good to have somebody out there talking about Jesus who has this sort of platform. In that same interview or in that same segment, Kanye West talked about how his $68 million tax refund is God's reward for me becoming a Christian. And that will cause us to want to just have a little bit of pause. Yeah. Uh, does that take away everything else he has said? No, but it's a good reminder of like, okay, uh, this is still somebody who's got to work some things out theologically like we yeah. all do. Uh, so let's pause the button a little bit of like, you know, he's now our our major celebrity that we put out there for all of pop culture to see. Yeah, I, I wrote on Facebook a couple days ago. I said, Christians, I think people notice when we preach about a God who does the unimaginable yet uh, incontestably decide that God could or would never save, quote, someone like that. Mm-hmm. And then in parentheses, I said, see Kanye. Mm-hmm. And Catherine McNeil, who we've had on the show on the before, show, yeah. was brilliant. She said, agreed. But also, we have a pattern of hoping that celebrity Christian converts are converting directly from cultural leader to Christian leader. Mm. We have to allow and frankly insist that these new converts remain baby Christians, disciples, and not thrust them into a leadership role until they are ready. Which I think was not only brilliantly said, but also like very eye-opening. Because so often we assume that they have achieved some level of status yes. culturally that you superimpose a confession of faith on top of that, that that then equals leadership prowess in this new arena, which as we're seeing, you know, in particular with this story is maybe not always the case. Yes. That's not to say that there are plenty of uh, Christ followers who have been Christ followers for a long time that still wouldn't say stuff like this, yes. to be honest. But her insistence though on like, hey, we have to remember though, that even though everyone knows his name and he's a, you know, he's a big celebrity, um, if this is genuine, and I think that it, it very well could be, yeah. we have to remember what what's fair to expect from a baby Christian. Exactly. So being a baby Christian with a huge megaphone is a that's a very problematic, tumultuous equation. Yeah, yeah. So he said, "God is using uh, me to show off." West told Corden last year, "I made 115 million dollars and still ended up 35 million dollars in debt." Let that just sit there for a second. No, thank you. I he said, "This year I looked up and I just got a 68 million dollar return on to me on my tax returns." And he's basically saying God is showing off by doing this. And a lot of people rightfully are, are, are kind of raising a flag on this one. Like, what? what's this? But I think you said it perfectly. Like, this doesn't go, oh, see, I told you he's not a real Christian. Yeah, I told right. You. Exactly. What this says is, hey, let's be, let's give him the opportunity to learn theology from hopefully right. somebody who's ahead of him, who could put their arm around him and be like, hey, uh, let me kind of mentor you a little bit. Because like you said, a lot of us probably do uh, or have said similar things with different numbers, 
but but God did this, God did that. And we're now we look back and we might not say the same things we said in the beginning, hmm. but it just reminds us, let's let's pump the brakes. Hopefully, let's just press stop on making a celebrity of a Christian just because he's a celebrity and allow right. allow God to do his work in his life. And it does show some of our like insatiable appetite for Christian celebrities. I mm-hmm. think that that part is convicting at all levels that we love to have an outpost. We love to have it like, see, even even Condi is on our team. Like, I get the very human draw toward that association. But what's difficult is how much we assume or can expect even of someone. Because honestly, I don't, I don't know if you saw the episode or not. I was talking to my wife about it. I, I said, this seems legitimately genuine. There's yeah. like a joy in his face. I saw a couple of other interviews with him and, you know, Kimmel and some other places. I was like, there seems, he seems lucid. Yeah. There seems to be like a genuine, like joy and lightness mm. to him. And I don't know this guy at all. And I watched that and I thought, that's pretty cool to see, actually. So I maybe I'm totally being duped. But in general, though, seeing like that general shift in his demeanor. Right. And then for him to say stuff like this is, you know, kind of the mega celebrity version of saying, and then the Lord opened up a parking spot at the very front of the mall for me. <laughs> and we're like, maybe not. Yep, yep, yep. But only three people are hearing you say that as opposed to three million are hearing right. him say that. I don't know. I think that there's... a Grain of salt, but also some grace that needs to be extended. Yeah, I think when I saw the segments there, it really just put things into perspective again. Like, hey, uh, let's celebrate what God's doing in his life and let's give some space for growth and other stuff that we should be giving to all of us. So uh, very interesting story that is going to continue to grow. When we come up next, uh, we are going to get the opportunity to talk to Daniel Baer. He is the current executive director of the Englewood Family Uh, family outreach. We're excited to talk to Daniel coming up next here on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at the common good radio show on Twitter at common good talk. Find our podcast wherever it is. You get your podcast. Well, we are uh, really excited to be joined in studio for the next two segments uh, by Daniel Bear. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I, I grew up in uh, Northeast Indiana in a small town. Um, never expected to see myself in the big city, uh, <laughs> but uh, ended up in Chicago for for undergrad studies at Moody mm. and. Uh, Fell in love with the city and, and the people in the city, and uh, I've tried to leave a few times, but God, God keeps bringing me back. So. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, yeah. We know the feeling, by the way. Uh, so you're currently, you're currently the executive director of Englewood Family Outreach. Yeah. Just give us just a bird's eye view about what it is that that means and what do you do specifically? Yeah, so Englewood Family Outreach is a, uh, an intentionally small uh, ministry on the south side of Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, obviously in Englewood. Right. Um, we work... Primarily with gang members and their families, wow. uh, doing discipleship, evangelism, discipleship, and, and just training in, in life and, and how, to, how to get to the next step in life, wow. yeah, whatever that looks like for the people we're working with. That's amazing. So I'm curious, Englewood, right, for most people in the Chicagoland area, like that is one of the areas kind of synonymous with, with violence. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering what your draw was there. And, and I'm also curious... Uh, you just said like you do discipleship with gang members and other stuff. How do you make inroads? Like what what is that? Probably over years of time. Yeah. So I I guess I, I first heard about Moody through this ministry. And, oh, and so oh that's, kidding. Okay, that's actually what led me to uh, apply to Moody and end up going to Moody. And while I was a student, I lived 
at the ministry really? doing ministry. So mm-hmm. so really it was my my first introduction to Chicago was was really through this ministry. Wow. So that's that's what got me initiated initially interested in in Inglewood. Yeah. And um really the the people in the community have kept me there. Hmm. And you know, you you ask how you how you build relationships with with gang members or how you make inroads. Yeah. What right. that looks like and I get that question all the time, and, and my answer is I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, I, like I said, I grew up in a small town in, yeah. in Indiana. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to build relationships with gang members or, uh-huh. or anyone like that. But at the end of the day, we realize they're people just like you and Absolutely. me. Absolutely, and right. so we build relationships the same way we do with anybody else, mm-hmm. just by getting to know them, playing some basketball, mm. playing video game, playing pool, whatever it is, just to to get to know people and then. And then you just take it from there. Yep. That's fantastic. All right. So one of the things you wrote in your talking points is the focus on restoration instead mm-hmm. of relief. And this is something at our church that we talk a lot about. Yeah. I'm really curious what that means for you in your context to focus more on restoration rather than just relief. Yeah. So so it's hard. Um, you know, I, obviously, a neighborhood like Inglewood, there's, there's a lot of uh, financial poverty. Right. There's a lot of uh, destitution. And so how do we... How do we help people out of that without just giving them a handout? Because mm. we've seen that handouts don't really help people mm. in the long run. Right. And so we've we've really focused as a ministry on building relationships with people and helping them find ways to solve their problems. Mm. Uh, yes, we'll help meet needs if they're, if right. they're urgent, right. crisis needs. But then if they're not in a crisis, we try to help them you know how can we make better decisions mm-hmm. how can we how can we help you find a job and keep a job how can we help you with uh whatever it is you need at that point yeah, that's great yeah uh so again i've always lived out here in the suburbs i'm curious what do you what frustrates you with what people think about englewood or the south side like uh you know president trump had things to say about the south side just yeah. 2 days ago i believe what is what what someone who loves it and is always down there what what frustrates you yeah um i, I think I guess a lot of a lot of it frustrates me. Um, but, That's fair. But you know, it's it's really hard because you know we'll read the news mm-hmm. or, or hear the news, and, and it's we hear about a sixteen year old who was shot in Chicago and killed. Um, but then we read that it was a gang member, and it makes mm-hmm. it okay. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, when I read the news and and, and it has that that uh, byline there that it, he was a known gang offender, for me that just that really depersonalizes it. It right. makes it it makes it okay and and so I actually tell people you know when when you hear that in the news just take that part out and listen to the listen to the sentence again. Mm-hmm. A 16-year-old boy was killed. Right. Mm. That should break and our heart regardless. It should right. and and it doesn't yeah. because because we attach to it this this other uh, what it means to be in a gang. Yeah. And and I think you know for for people from outside it's really hard because we look at we look at Chicago and say Oh, they're, they're, he's in a gang. That's why all this bad stuff is happening. Yeah. But he didn't really have much of a choice. Mm. You know, it, today it's it's not so much about choosing to be in a gang. It's you're born into it, wow. mm. and it's just part of your life. Wow. Do you find that that's part of human nature to come up with reasons or excuses mm-hmm. to sort of appease our own discomfort with yeah. the raw data of what we're experiencing? I mean, yeah. even in our own city, I, I hear that all the time. Like, well, the whole situation you just explained, I've heard that a thousand times over. Like, well, mm-hmm. he's a gang member, though. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like... It, it makes it palpable, right? Yeah, it makes okay, it, it, makes it so word. that you know we can. What, what do we do with hundreds of homicides in Chicago? 
Right. I mean, well, they're gang members, so it's okay. It, it, we need something to make it less less drastic, less less mm. something we need to do something about. Yeah. And, and we can do that by saying, well, they're gang members, so yeah. it's okay. Mm. Yeah. Uh Talk to me about, you live out in Winfield, you said, out, out in the suburbs, and you commute in, mm-hmm. uh, and in your bio, you talk about the whiplash that that is. Yeah. Um, that fascinated me, because mm-hmm. on, a, you know, a whipla- on a daily basis, that's got to be something you've got to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting, because on the one side, you know, out in the, the west suburbs, you, yeah. you have a lot, more, um, a lot more wealth, a lot more mm-hmm. uh, together families, and, and a mm-hmm. lot less brokenness, and then in the city, you have a lot a lot more of the visible manifestations of that. But but you actually have it all out here, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And right. so I, I think at the end of the day, I, I say, you know, we're all broken people mm-hmm. and we're all we're all in need and uh, we're all in need of restoration. Yeah, right. In one way or another. Yeah. And, you know, I, I shared at my church several times that that we need the poor in our church. Yes. As much as the poor need us. That's right. Wow. And, and I think we don't often think about that, especially when we're when we're trying to help the poor. Yeah, that's right. I think. Oh well, they need me. Mm-hmm. Right, I, we don't need them. Right, and I, I think we really need to reverse that that mindset and say, you know what, we need the poor as much, if not more, than they need us. Yeah, and we, so and I, we have a yeah. lot to learn from them. Right, mm-hmm. how do you reverse that then? Because you're experiencing this whiplash driving in and out of this environment, but many of the people that you are a part of a church community with don't have any whiplash at all. They're perfectly yeah. comfortable in their bubble, their environment, and they're not seeing and they're maybe hearing you, but they're like. Yeah, but I'm not experiencing yeah. it. How do you help reverse some of those mindsets? Yeah, it's a long, it's a long process. Yeah. I think a big part of it is paying attention to what's going on in the world around us, to knowing what's going on in Chicago, right, and, and to uh, to be aware of of ways we can be involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's probably the main thing is is well, I'd say to to pay attention and, and to pray for. Mm-hmm. Chicago and, and be aware of what's what's going on. That's really good. Absolutely. We're excited to be joined in studio by Daniel Bear. He is the currently the executive director of Inglewood Family Outreach uh, in in Chicago, and he's going to stay with us. We're going to talk more about uh, some of the things God is doing in the city. So Daniel's going to continue. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate yeah. it. He's going to continue with us here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Halloween afternoon. Glad to have you with us. Uh, we are grateful to be joined again in studio by Daniel Baer. Daniel is the current is currently the executive director of Englewood Family Outreach in the city of uh, Chicago. You've been there 18 years, and that's where yeah. I want to start. Uh, so you've got a lot invested, and we, mm-hmm. a lot of us, you know, we hear a lot of what's going on in the city, uh, good and bad, whatever else. Um, I'm wondering, after 18 years, are you more hopeful now? Mm-hmm. Are you discouraged? Where are you at after 18 years? Yeah. Um, oh, that's that's a good question. It, it's really like a roller coaster. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's, there's 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 times of really great joys and highs, and there's there's times of deep sadness and mm-hmm. and sorrow and um i i can't i can't count the number of times i've tried to quit um, <laughs> so so yeah 18 years is, no, is says nothing for for my my legacy it's all god's legacy it's, mm-hmm. you know, he's kept me here this long it's it's uh been his plan um, yeah and and really he's kept me through it but but right now 
generally, uh, I just I really feel a lot of a lot of hope for Chicago right now. I just cool. I see a lot of efforts being made hmm. um, that that seem to be being made having learned from mistakes made in the past. Interesting. Really? So so you know you see gentrification happening all over, and and it just it feels like in Inglewood they've they've paused it and said. How can we do this better? No mm. kidding. Interesting. And, and not that everyone is doing that, but but there are there are a lot of people that are saying we don't want to push out the inhabitants mm-hmm. and just bring a new neighborhood here. Right. Yeah. How can we restore the inhabitants? Which is as we shared already, that's our vision is is restoration of I love that. the people that are living there. We don't want to push them out and bring new people in. Yeah. We want to we want to help the community as it is and, awesome. and see them develop and that's so grow. good. One of the things you include here in your talking points is a conversation that I'm really passionate about, and it's how how do we help people, and maybe that's not even the right way to frame it, but how do we engage with people who are struggling financially, socially, whatever, without it being paternalistic or condescending? I feel mm-hmm. like the church has not always done well in this regard, where on paper we applaud, we pat ourselves on the back for saying, look at the good stuff we're doing, yeah. but the people on the receiving end are like, yeah, but you did it in a really denigrating way. Ooh, like, I still take... Yeah. The resource, but the relationship yeah. suffers as a result. How, how do you speak to that? Yeah, it, you know, it, it's there. There are a lot of books written on this. Yeah, that are, that are great books. When helping hurts, one that mm-hmm. I refer a lot of people to. But it, it's taking some of those principles and and really just applying them uh, full force. Right. So so you have to say that you know we're an organization in Inglewood that doesn't do relief, mm-hmm. which is weird. Uh, I right, mean, most right. most people are like, oh, what are you passing out? What are you doing? Um, and and we're not. We don't do that because we've seen that that actually that actually robs ministries of the opportunities of speaking into people's lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so we've invited people to church, and they're like, oh well, what are they going to give me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not about yeah. that, right? You know? Right. So so unfortunately, that's been one of the side effects. Is is if you do if you do relief without relationship. Mm. Then you don't. You really don't have a way to speak into people's lives. Wow, that's mm-hmm. good. And, and so that's that's what we focus on. Now, yeah. now, we we have young people come in and and make a sandwich, right? And, and eat a eat a sandwich with us. Sure. And, but but it's more. It's done more as a family. Mm-hmm. It's hey, we're your family. You're you're here as family. Uh, you know, make yourself a cup of coffee, whatever. It's yes. My house is your house. Mm-hmm. But it's more. It, it's done relationally. Yeah. Mm. And that's that's the difference. So I, 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 I would say that's that's the first. I mean, obviously we could talk for hours on <laughs> on how to do that. Yeah. But in a nutshell, it's it's focusing on a person, not a problem. Right. Which means it takes time more than money. Mm. Oof. And that's good. And that's it's actually a bigger cost, right? Right. Right. Time is time is a much bigger cost and for the, us. The book you mentioned is when helping hurts. Yeah. Yes. That's one you recommend for people to yeah. check out if they're interested in what you're just talking about. Yep. Or, a lot. or come visit us, and <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. we love to talk about it. So yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm actually curious about that. Are there opportunities for, uh, you know, we're both pastors in the suburbs. Are there opportunities yeah. for people or churches to connect with you guys, or yeah. is that really overwhelming? How can the church be a support to what you guys do? Yeah, honestly, that's one of our highlights is hosting teams from different churches. Mm. Oh, nice. Um, all over the states, but uh, lately we've been we've been focusing on kind of narrowing that to Chicagoland because. Mm. Because we really want to get Chicagoland churches involved, because they're the ones that are around, yeah, and they can they can stick around. So so we host teams for for a week most of the time. They'll come 
you know, like a Monday through Friday, or we, we do some over the weekend or a one day, especially if they're local churches, a, a one, one day trip. And just first we do some training, kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. expound on some of the things we've talked about a little bit here in more detail. Mm. But then we go out and we'll do prayer walks in the community. Oh, cool. We'll invite people in from the community, play basketball, do a barbecue, hot mm. dogs or whatever on the grill. And, and again, the difference between that, we don't do it as a handout. We yeah. do it as a, right. a celebration together yeah. because we're eating the hot dogs too. Right. And it, it's, you're not behind the counter somewhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so, so that's, that's good. That's, we, we love that. And that's awesome. it, it does, it does take a lot of time and energy from us, but we, we think it's really important because it, it gives the church an opportunity to yeah. actually make a difference. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. So this is a Chicago show and we cover, you know, national and global stories, but Chicago is, you know, for a lot of us, that's like our, that's our heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into the weeds a little bit because it's, it seems like in the last couple of years, you can't talk about Chicago and not at least think about gun violence. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you even engage that dialogue with people who, maybe live in the Anglewood community or people who have never even set foot in it that have very strong opinions about what the solution is. Like, how do you speak to that? Yeah. It, you know, it, it, we talked in the last session about some of the frustrations we have. Yeah. And that, that's definitely one of them because mm. it, people like to use Inglewood as, as the, the guinea pig for, you know, right. well, this is why we should have guns. This is why we shouldn't have guns. But right. I'm like, you know, stop using Inglewood as, as the example of, mm. of why we should or shouldn't. Um, because I, I don't think I don't think gun control has has any place in that conversation. Um, I, I mean, I think there are deeper issues in each person's individual life that mm. need dealt with. Uh, there, there's brokenness on on so many levels, and you know, I, some people have said the the best thing to stop a bullet is a job, right? And okay, mm. I, I think that's that's good, that's mm-hmm. helpful. But what if you can't get a job? Yeah, right. What if you don't have? What if you're not employable? which is a lot of what we deal with it, just people that don't know what you have. They don't have conflict resolution. They don't know how to, right. how to dress for a job. They don't, they've just never been taught that. So, right. so they need somebody to walk alongside them and, and help them with that. Uh, and, and they need, they need somebody that speaks the gospel into their life. Yeah. That's, that's what we try to do. Yeah. So. With a minute or so we have left, I'm just yeah. curious how uh, we can pray for you, but pray mm-hmm. for your organization, the uh, the Inglewood Family Outreach, and maybe even pray for Inglewood as a whole. How could yeah. uh, how could we be praying for you guys? Yeah, so as an organization, we're we're looking at a um, possible church restart in the community. Nice uh, that would that would be welcoming to these uh, unchurched people, mm-hmm. the, the gang members who are you know you walk they walk into church and everyone's gets really scared. Mm-hmm. So we want to we want to really help a church be welcoming to those people and um excited about having them in their church. So so that's something on the on the plans for the near future. Uh, we're in dialogue with several people about what that would look like. That's so awesome. so that'd be huge uh, a huge prayer re- request. But for that we also would need more employees at our ministry. Yeah. Right. Um I said we're we're an intentionally small organization. We only have two staff members right now. Wow! Um, but we we hope to double that. Okay. Um, so there's obviously challenges with with getting that, yeah. finding the right people, and mm-hmm. and doing that. Uh, we we have a lot of volunteers, so a, a lot of our stuff is done by volunteers. But we really need more staff members as well. Sure. So those would probably be two. two okay. Main prayer request there. That's well, awesome. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. This is I've learned a lot, but also it's been encouraging, and, yeah, and we will. Uh, you know, as pastors in the suburbs, it's really good to be reminded 
but also to how we can pray, but also even partner. And mm-hmm. so excited for that. You've been listening to Daniel Bear. He is the executive director of Englewood Family uh, Outreach. Is there a website people can go to? Uh, yeah, they can uh, check out Urban Seven, the number seven okay. dot org. Urban Seven dot org. Go check Urban. that out. And uh, Daniel, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, man. Yep, yeah. you've been listening to the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Back to the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Is it happy Halloween? Is, do you wish someone a happy Halloween? I think you do. I was not prepared for this question. Is it like it's a Merry Christmas? Happy Thanksgiving? Yeah, no, is what I do, happy- I just shout the word Halloween at people. <laughs> so if I'm at like Jewel, I'll just walk by someone and go, Halloween! <laughs> I'll go behind him and go, boo! <laughs> it does remind me, I, I saw the Office episode last night where uh, where Dwight puts up the sign that just says, it's your birthday, period. <laughs> Holy cow, yes, I forgot about that. It was an exclamation point. No, no, it no, was that not. Was, I think that was the whole bit. I watched was it no. yesterday. It was It's Your Birthday, period. I watched it last night. This isn't at all what we're about to talk about, but I do you feel any pressure even in writing emails to end with exclamation marks? I put, I, so funny you say that because I put too many exclamation do points. You really? It's always, thanks, exclamation right. point. Honestly, I'll sometimes, my first draft will be no exclamation mark, and I'll yeah. read it back, and I'm like, well, that seems mean. <laughs> it's not mean. It just lacks. 17 exclamation marks. It's a, it's a real can I, I know people don't listen to our show two hours a day at five days a week, but can right. I, I heard an update on something you and I talked about oh, either no. earlier this week or last week. Yeah. Do you remember we talked about the haunted house that nobody had come through? Yeah, I think that was like a day or two ago. Do you remember the one I'm talking about where like 40 page like waiver? Page yeah. waiver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forget where it was, but it said well, you and I were confused because they're like nobody's completed it. Right. They uh, Some people are filing suit because they said it's just glorified torture chamber. Oh, my gosh. I heard that on the radio today. I'm like, that makes more sense. Like, apparently, it is like borderline torture chamber sadistic. That's why nobody can complete it. Oh, goodness. Isn't that crazy? Google it later today. Not torture chamber. I don't want Maybe crazy haunted house. How about you send me a link specifically? Because I don't think I want that. I heard it on the radio, so I don't really want to go look for it. Isn't that crazy? Though? That's really it crazy. It does answer some of the questions. You are like, how is nobody, nobody finished? Like, just right. out of willpower. Right. That might. The waterboarding might have gotten them or whatever else it is. Anyway, uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Well, sometimes it feels like we're doing similar stories over and over again, and that is... Uh, the story we're about to do, I feel like we've done different versions multiple times, and it makes me really sad that yeah. we have. So let me tell the story, and then I'll let you jump in kind of on a reaction. Uh, a pastor by the name of Andy Savage. Andy Savage is the former pastor of High Point Church in Memphis, Tennessee. This is a mega church in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Andy Savage, uh, though, left his job uh, last year, I believe he was forced to resign in 2018 over a 20-year-old sexual assault uh, allegation involving a teenage parishioner while he was a youth pastor. To be really fair, it wasn't he wasn't a youth pastor at High Point Church. He was he was a youth pastor in Texas. And uh, it doesn't change anything. I don't. Right. I just don't want to besmirch High Point Church too much with that part. Okay. Uh, so there was a a sexual allegation as to when he was a youth pastor with a seventeen year old girl. 
uh, when the whole Me Too movement that then morphed in the Christian world into the Church Too movement, she got kind of the the courage to come out Mm -hmm. and level this accusation. He did not deny it. At first, he tried to call it consensual. As you and me pointed out off off air, you can't have consensual relationship with a minor. Right. Minors Uh, cannot consent. Correct. Uh, and so he took a leave of absence and then he came back and said, I've recognized, uh, basically, I've, I've seen what I did was wrong. It was abuse of power. He stepped away. He resigned. You might remember the scene where the church uh, gave him a standing ovation, which mm-hmm. made people really uncomfortable. He has since gone away. Uh, in fact, the local pastor from Wheaton here, Will mm-hmm. Franco, mm-hmm. Uh, who is fabulous, has yeah. now taken over as the pastor yeah, of that awesome. church and he's will awesome. help rebuild it. We'll do an awesome job. Yes. Uh, but... Uh, Here's where the story takes a frustrating turn, and frustrating is an understatement. Andy Savage just planted his own church, just started a church a couple months later in the Memphis area, so still in that area, uh, and he called the church Grace Valley Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and Savage, uh, he said this, as I reflected during my leave of absence, which was only a couple months, I have come to see that my wrong, that many wrongs occurred in 1998. He talks about his inappropriate relationship. And then he goes on to say uh, that there are lots of people uh, who need a church who don't have it all together. He said, I had this thought. If I ever go back into ministry again, I'm not going to do what I did before. I don't want to live in a ministry where I let people's struggles go out of sight. So the whole premise behind the name Grace Valley Church is based on the idea that grace flows down. Grace flows up and God's word uh, tells us that. I love the concept of grace. That's great. This man has no business being a pastor right now or maybe ever. Uh, and these stories are getting really frustrating. That's part of my problem. I don't even think grace and reinstatement are on the same mm, continuum. They are not. Good. And that's often how I, I think it's depicted when somebody, you know, I've been a part of a number of communities where someone was removed from leadership. And when the community was told this, often the response was, what about grace? What about forgiveness? Yep. To which the leadership most of the time would say, uh, grace has been bestowed. He or she has been forgiven. Mm-hmm. This person has disqualified themselves yes. from the leadership of this community. Yes. They both can coexist. Full forgiveness, full extension of grace. You don't get to be pastor here anymore. Mm-hmm. And it drives me crazy that we draw this dotted line between the two that like grace has to equal you leading a church yeah what are you preaching from a pulpit it has to equal that we erase everything that you did it's not it's not what it is at all no and i think that's frustrating for you and i here in the studio Mm -hmm. but how much more heartbreaking must it be for her for people like her whose stories reflect that to say oh so he was away like does it say how long he was actually away from the ministry I think it was like a year, right? Because he, if he went in oh March, so March 2018, looks like a year and a half. Okay. Like a year and a half. Does that in any way for you, does that no. time no. dismiss any of this for you? Or no. A little or- and what else? You know, he could have done a lot of stuff in private, like to, to get reinstated, but he's going back into public ministry. It feels like yeah. if there was a lot of work done, it would be publicized. Hey, here's what I've done. In or- I still don't think it, it qualifies you to go do it, right. but you would at least say, and you said... You know, it makes us angry. We actually know what his uh, what the, the person that he abused uh, actually thinks of this because she tweeted. Uh-huh. Her name is Jules Woodson, uh, and she wrote this. She wrote, devastating news today. My abuser is back in the pulpit 
And then with a bunch of emojis that kind of give, you know, a crying emoji, an angry emoji, a throwing up emoji, a mind blown emoji, all of these. She's saying this is ridiculous. Yeah. And I just am so tired, not just of these guys just inserting themselves back in. Right. He's starting his own church, uh, just inserting themselves back in. But the fact that people will go to this. Hmm. And what does that say about our evangelical Christian culture that people are going to go? Yep, I like his preaching. I'm back in. I get it. I don't want to be too Pollyanna and be like, that would never happen. That guy's going to have a thousand people there, I'm guessing, on the first week. Five hundred people, probably. And you're going, people, what are we doing? Well, and even his uh, response post-resignation in criticizing the Church 2 movement, calling it very aggressive and very (laughs) attacking. Like, I don't know why that isn't more of a red flag for those in charge of this decision. And again... That's fine to have your perspective on some of these movements, and his is certainly colored by his own experience. But yeah. to say, "Oh boy, that feels a little aggressive," and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, understandably, because it's it's long overdue. Yeah. And for him to say, yeah, "It's been eighteen months. Let's get back into the swing of things." Yep. Like, I'm for me personally, that that kind of dismissal is not just on him. Yes, that's on the people that have signed off on this. That's 100%. the people that have agreed to be in leadership. I think that. Again, please hear Brian and I are both saying we are 1,000% in the camp of grace, Absolutely. forgiveness, mercy, but also justice. Absolutely. And these types of things mean, in some cases, you've disqualified yourself from leadership at the local level. Yep. Yep. Uh, my first thought when you're saying that, you know what else is aggressive? Is uh, preying on a 17-year-old when you're a youth pastor. No kidding, man. And Jeez so, Louise. man, I'm sorry to have to keep bringing up these stories, but we're going to keep highlighting them because they're infuriating. And people out there who attend churches, you need to think about why am I attending yeah, a church? That's good. What is uh, what is the lens through which I'm looking at this? Uh, because this church is going to be successful and it's going to be frustrating. So, quote unquote, successful. Hey, thank yeah. you very much. Thank you very much. Well, you were done with the first hour here on Halloween. Thanks for joining us here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Ian is all dressed up for Halloween right now. <laughs> what am I dressed up as right now, Brian? Dressed up. If people could see right now, you have one of those inflatable dinosaur outfits where I can't even really see your face. We had to like get the microphone. It was really weird. But oh, It's Ronald Reagan. How did you get dinosaurs? That's not even, <laughs> oh, not even close. See, it's our see, producer coming through for see, Halloween. What am I supposed to see? <laughs> I don't understand. I'm Ronald Reagan. <laughs> I just liked. I liked hearing you guess uh, off the top of your head what I would be funny. wearing. That's funny. I did like. Was it you? You posted right on Twitter, or Facebook. Was one of them uh, the picture of Paul uh, Rudd dressed as Weird Al Yankovic? That yeah, was great. Yeah, because her his daughter was going as um as the Wasp. Oh. Did you see that? I I saw it on your post today. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I, mean, I thought you were going to bring up. So my wife wanted us to do Wizard of Oz, and she was like, "Which one should my husband go as?" And everyone was like, "Scarecrow." And I was like, "Should I be insulted by that?" <laughs> How quickly people are like the one without a brain, <laughs> Dorothy, do, do that one. That's true. They didn't say Dorothy, but that's funny. That's funny. Uh, well, we're glad that you're joining us. Hopefully you have a fun Halloween and are able to connect with your neighbors and other people, even though it is 
rigid outside. No, I'm, I'm a Christian. I don't participate. In <laughs> Listen to the yesterday's podcast, oh, and we will our podcast. You. Our podcast. We didn't encourage people to participate, did we? We did. Oh my god! And there was even something about beer partaking. What? Another segment about part. That doesn't sound like us at oh, all. We're going to lose our jobs here at yeah. some point. This, this has been a fun show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are glad that you're joining us. You might have seen on uh, either the news or Twitter, wherever it was going around. Uh, former President Barack Obama had some fascinating things to say at uh, the Obama um, the Obama summit and uh, the Obama Foundation summit. And uh, you know what was fascinating for me? He's always had good stuff to say, but whether it be George W. Bush or Jimmy Carter uh, or Barack Obama, they, it's interesting to watch ex-presidents. I think they feel like they have greater freedom of what they can say. Like, Freedom's a good word. There's almost like a... Uh like you can see that their blood pressure has yes. gone back down to normal. Yes. Like you like, listen oh. to George W. Bush right now. He is fascinating. Like I was just painting the, the other day. Yeah. yeah. I know. And what Obama's going to say here. So please, uh, I know there's people out there that get so hyper partisan. If we ever play anything either by Barack Obama or Donald Trump or whatever else, uh, maybe get past your thoughts and listen to what he has to say, because it is really insightful about this thing. We've talked about a lot. Cancel culture, this culture that we live in and how people are always trying to make points and what does activism look like? Uh, so this uh, clip is going to be, I think, like a minute and a half or so. Uh, and then we'll respond to it. Let's listen to former President Barack Obama here. This idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff. I, you should get over that quickly. The world, the world is messy. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. People who you are fighting may love their kids. And, you know share certain things with you. And, and, and I think that one danger I see among young people, particularly on college campuses, Malia and I talk about this. Yara goes to school with my daughter. Um, but I do get a sense sometimes now among certain young people, and this is accelerated by social media, there is this sense sometimes of the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people. And... That's enough. Like, if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or used the word wrong verb, or then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself. Because, man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. <laughs> Let me get on TV. Watch my show. Watch Gronish. Um, you know, that's not... That's not activism. That, that's not bringing about change. You know, if, 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 if all you're doing is casting stones, uh, you know, you're, you're probably not going to get that far. That's easy to do. I just love that. If you said the, you don't make change by just being judgmental yeah, and right. just casting stones. I think what he said there is such a uh, it has such great wisdom and is our culture. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It. What did you think about what he had to say? OK, so there's this uh, this ancient Jewish proverb mm -hmm. that goes something like. Any old donkey can kick down a barn, but it takes a skilled craftsman to build one up. Mm. 
I don't think it says donkey in the original. <laughs> I was ready for the second part there. No, no, no. But like, I think that's very true of today, which is is how much of like timeless wisdom literature is that mm. it could have been written five hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, and you're like, wow, did they have Facebook then too? Like mm. that's so applicable to right now. But I also feel convicted by that because if you follow my feed, there's a lot of one liners and a lot of like, ooh, that rhymed, but I don't know what he's actually saying. Like there, there is a temptation, I think, to sometimes speak to things in culture or of very current affairs and i'm often wrestling in my in my own journey like okay what am i actually doing to contribute toward mm. this though and that not that i don't think social digital rhetoric has significance Absolutely. i think it's very important and i've seen a number of people in fact i just saw an exchange on twitter between two people two famous uh i don't think they're necessarily evangelicals but two famous celebrity christians okay. who had a beef went back and forth and then the one said you know what that got out of hand. I'd love to connect with you in person next time you're in Southern California. Wow. And then he responded and said, I would love that too. That was really big of you to offer. And I thought, okay, all right. So this yep. platform can sometimes really mm-hmm. be a, a a reservoir, be soil for growth and dialogue and all that. But I think what he's saying, like, hey, man, just knocking people down wrong, yep. like mic drops and poking holes and things, that you may yep. be right, but that's not really moving the needle at all. And I appreciate, like you were saying, how sometimes post-presidency, there's a certain clarity about what really matters and what really has influence and what really has impact. And he's like, this, all this clamoring about who's got the hottest take right now about the newest thing. He's like, that doesn't really do much. I thought yeah. that was really good. I think it was, uh, speaking of post-presidencies, um, I'm going to give him credit here. I think it was Sky Jitani, who we've had on before, uh, tweeted about this today. And if not, well, then Sky's getting credit for it if it was someone <laughs> else. Uh, and said... I would love to see a speaking tour of Barack Obama and George W. Bush oh, because yeah. they both seem really comfortable right now. They yep. both seem like a little more free than you are when you're the president. Yeah, right. Just a dialogue between those two. I'd pay money for that. I'd get. Well, I'd w, w was at one. Judson a couple of years ago, actually, and Was's I had a really? number of friends that were there that were not George W. Yep. fans at all and walked away from saying, well, I like him a whole lot more yeah. now because of some of the things you're saying, just the honesty, the the general perspective and wisdom of like, okay. Yeah, let's all pump the brakes a little bit. It's going to be a really cool feeling to have been. Pre- I would. So I have, I uh. think that having been president is probably cooler than being president. Oh, for sure. Look at how much grayer every president I gets know. during the presidency. I know. But back to Obama's point, I just think, uh, he, like you said, there's this place for Twitter. There's a place for pointing things yeah, out. There's what totally. I think what he's trying to say, as you pointed out, is but don't make that the end. Don't end with, I'm going to judge what you say. I'm right. going to win some points. Like activism in his words or making a difference or whatever else requires us to still roll up our sleeves, mm-hmm. get to know people, get our hands dirty, try to, the, we don't just make change by tweeting right. uh, or by putting out the next thing. No, you, you make change by uh, entering in where there's injustice, entering in where there's pain and, and, right. and making and, and. And kind of living it out, being at the front of the line. And I think that's what he's trying to say here. He's like, I think he's saying, I'm concerned that our culture is just cast stones, cast stones, cancel people right. back and forth, and nothing's really getting accomplished. Well, and I think, not, not to get too nerdy either, I think that's part of what incarnational ministry is about. Mm-hmm. If the body matters, and I think it does, then I think part of the implication is that spending time in physical space with people also matters. And again, I'm not one of those pastors that's railing against. The digital age and social media is ruining everything. I think there's a lot of benefits and there are a lot of cautions. 
but there is something and anyone who's actually shared a meal or a cup of coffee mm. or a conversation with someone in person knows this. You don't have yes. to be a scholar or a pastor to know that there is deeper significance and empathy that is born out of actual face to face conversation. And it's easier and easier for us to avoid that entirely. Yeah. And I think the more that we can lean into being with people in physical space, which is inconvenient yes. and inefficient. It's so much easier to send that email or post that tweet, whatever. The physical yes. back and forth, look me in the eyes. I think that there's something not just like beneficial, but also deeply sacred about yeah, all of that. That's well put. We would love your feedback. You can do so at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, for Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Happy Halloween. You're listening to the Common Good. <laughs> AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you join us. Uh, We are excited to be joined by phone right now by Robert Downen. Robert covers City Hall for the Houston Chronicle and is the lead reporter of Abuse of Faith, the ongoing investigation of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Just uh, to catch people up, how would you, uh, you said here you can give a general wrap-up of your findings. I'm sure you've done this for a lot of people. Why don't you just kind of give us that wrap-up that you're talking about of what you guys have found? Sure. So we, you know, our story started out pretty organically. Um, Basically, I stumbled across a lawsuit settlement, um, a half-million-dollar lawsuit settlement that a Meeting Southern Baptist figure, this guy named Paul Pressler, had uh, struck with it with a former youth member in 2004, and the youth member was had recently filed another lawsuit claiming that Pressler had uh, raped him, you know, for, for decades, and that Pressler's uh, the allegations were covered up or concealed by top Southern Baptist leaders. Wow. And so that kind of piqued our interest. And so I started, you know, just basically collecting cases. We added a, eventually added two more investigative reporters. And over the course of about almost a full year, chronicled at least 700 people had been victimized by Southern Baptist church leaders and uh, volunteers since 1998. Something like 250 had been criminally charged since 2008. um, And, we found roughly roughly 380 at the time uh, church leaders and volunteers had been um, credibly accused of sexual misconduct or sex crimes, and nearly all of them were convicted or uh, took plea deals as a result of it. And the other thing that we kind of focused on was the FDC's repeated uh, failure to Im- implement any kind of reforms. Um, we focused on 1998 to 2019 because it kind of provided a great bookend from 2008, which was when a group of small or a small group, small but vocal group of activists and abuse survivors had really gotten their best shot at warning the SBC that they needed to implement reforms. And the SBC uh, said, sorry, we can't do that because of the, our organizers, organizational structures. So. Wow. OK, so one of the things you wrote here is that um, the Southern Baptist organization has actually made it easier for predators to flourish. And I'm curious, can you. Talk a little bit more to the infrastructure, the organizational structure that, in in your mind, has helped to make some of these things more easy to flourish. Yeah, so um, I think uh, there's a lot of comparison with our story to the Catholic Church abuse mm-hmm. scandal, and you know the documentation of it in the Boston Globe. But I think that that story was more 
easily digestible to a lot of people because there are, you know, there is a pope, there are bishops, there right. are very prominent and well-known people, whereas the Southern Baptist Convention, it's the nation's second largest faith group after the Baptists, but they don't, you know, they still debate whether they're even a denomination. I mm. mean, it's really more than anything a collective of churches that cooperate with each other, some 47,000 churches, and while they do have commonly held religious beliefs and do ha- have pool money together for missions and seminaries and stuff, they really don't have any kind of overarching overarching policy or uh, ways to really implement sweeping reforms that mm. you can see in like the way that the Catholic Church has, um, and you know, even down to their ordination processes. So they abide by this, by what's called local church autonomy, um, which basically says that, you know, no, no church leader can dictate the affairs of another church. Right. And they also have a very, very inconsistent and some would say lax ordination process that starts at the local church level. I mean, basically for some of these churches, a person convinces a group of elders that they've been called to service by God, and they go through a, say, six-month period, and just like that, they're a Southern Baptist minister. Hmm. And so they can kind of use that credential um, to move from church to church, from bigger church to bigger church, and gaining more influence along the way. Now, when you think about that, and you think about the fact that SBC churches don't really stay in constant communication, and there's also a big tendency towards forgiveness and repentance and all mm. these things. It does kind of seem like an almost perfect situation for a, uh, you know, persistent sexual predator to groom churches, find victims, and then after he's been caught or an allegation is made, say, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, mm. and then just move on to the next church. And we found at least 35 um, church pastors, as of our reporting, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, the initial story we wrote found 35 people, 35 churches had hired um, pastors or ministers, what have you, uh, despite there being allegations against them or them having some sort of troubled history. Wow. And then I think we added, we found another 30 of those in our subsequent reporting. Oh my wow. gosh, that's that's overwhelming. Now I know we've done some stories about uh, like J.D. Greer taking over as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention or Russell Moore doing work uh, there. It sounds like uh, we've, we've talked about how they are trying to bring about some big changes, but it sounds like from what you're saying is that's going to be really difficult. And I, I, I don't know if you have much hope that that's even possible. What would you say to that? So I, it's a really tough, I get asked that a lot. And it's a really, really tough question for me to answer because, mm-hmm. because honestly, because the way the SBC is set up, you know, and I, I do think, you know, to their credit, Russell Moore and J.D. Greer, before our story published, months before, in response to the Paige Patterson scandal, they launched their own advisory group on sex abuse. But again, mm-hmm. they're very limited in what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, J.D. Greer, I mean, I in, talked to him last month, and he effectively said, yeah, I'm pretty much a lame duck president at this point. So gauging where things are headed is requires, I think, really taking a step back and looking at the tone and tenor of the conversations and what just the average local church is doing. Right. Now, I think, and, and SBC leaders will say this too, that for a lot of these church pastors, the idea of abuse hasn't even been on their radar. I mean, yeah. they've right. believed that they were immune to it, what have you. And so there obviously are a lot of people who want sweeping reforms to come down overnight and the SBC to have this broad culture shift like that. 
But for so many of these churches, it just the mere acknowledgement of the problem is the first step. Right. And so, you know, it's, it, as, to, as J.D. Greer said last month at a conference they had on abuse, we're, we're at, I think, I don't know how many steps he said there were, but he, he agreed that this is step one. So Wow. Wow. Okay, so we're in Chicagoland, and this topic has unfortunately kind of been in the forefront of a lot of our minds. I'm curious for someone listening who's maybe just a part of a local church. They're not even necessarily in leadership. They're not a part of the SBC, but they're hearing what you're saying and saying, all right, how do I at least get more informed? Are there like resources or books or places you would point people who are maybe hearing some of what you're saying, possibly even for the first time wondering, great, where do I go from here? They're maybe not a president or a pastor or an elder, or maybe they are, but they, are there places that you would point people towards if they want to like learn more or get informed or help move their church in the right direction? Um, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm endorsing anything because as a reporter, that's not my job, but <laughs> I can say confidently that, you know, that having worked with a lot of survivors and advocates and lawyers that nearly all of them pretty much agree that grace is a great resource for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, uh, I can't remember the actual acronym, but it's founded by Boz Trevigian, who's the mm-hmm. grandson of Billy Graham and mm-hmm. a pretty prominent lawyer. And, uh, and they do some great work as far as showing, you know, just even showing basic, you know, just basic things, preventative measures that can signal to predators that you, your church is not somewhere where they'll be able to groom people, that kind of stuff. But I mean, I think honestly, the biggest, I, I'm, I'm asked often about what I think the, the you know, can, what the solution is. Mm-hmm. And this is my response every single time is that while the SBC's polity, their structure, I think makes it much easier for predators to flourish. It'd be very dumb for anyone to assume that it, that organization or that it's the only organization yeah. or that their organization right. is immune from predators. And right. so if, if the problem is universal, then I think some of the solutions are too. And the mm, first thing I think that people just need to do is to just simply listen and believe people when they come forward with abuses. I mean, yes. it, it, I think that there are room for conversations about repentance and forgiveness in those contexts, but when you are choosing to believe a predator who says he's sorry over, you know, a 14-year-old girl, I mean, that that is hmm. not in line with any type of theology that, I'm, uh, that, that I, I know of, and hmm. I think... It, both on a criminal side and just on a justice side, whether in, you know, justice in, in the court, justice in whatever you want to say. I mean, just simply believing people and, t- and you know, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not even saying that by believing people, you have to condemn immediately the person being accused. Sure. But as a pastor or, mm. you know, as many other roles, you're a mandated reporter, and not only are you breaking the law by not going to police with that allegation, you are setting up that person, you are setting their life on a path that many don't recover from, because to not only be abused by someone in a position of power, but then to have another person in a position of power say, oh, I don't make, are you sure you're remembering this correctly, or he's he seems he seems that he he seems to be sorry about this. Yeah. You should probably forgive him. I mean, that is that can manifest in in trauma in 
that can add to people's trauma in ways that it's it's almost impossible for anyone to mm. understand unless they've gone through it. So, Yeah. Robert, thank you so much. This has been really informative and challenging, and we're grateful for the work you guys have done down there with your reporting. Again, this is Robert Downen, uh, works for the Houston Chronicle. Uh, and specifically, and a Naperville native, and a Naperville native. Yes, you are. You'd like to know that <laughs> it snowed here this week. <laughs> so, oh, oh man, there it's you about go. Sixty here, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we did enjoy this interview until the last couple of seconds. But anyway, Robert. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it today. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, thanks, Robert. You're listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Is today Halloween? I don't know. I don't pay attention to those pagan holidays. <laughs> Welcome back to The Common Good. <laughs> My name is Brian Fromm, along with Ian Simpkins, the righteous one, as we like to refer to him. No. Oh, let's please not start that. No, 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 no. We hope you're having a great Halloween. Hopefully, uh, even though it's cold out, kids Sinners. are able to get out. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully, kids are able to get out, get some candy. Parents are able to steal some of that candy from their kids. Oh, my it's gosh. It's how we roll with Halloween. Well, you, don't, you don't have to steal it. I thought it was the dad tax. There's the dad tax. And then it's like. Although taxation is theft. So that's, it is like, uh, you know, like when you're teaching on the fishermen or something of Peter and stuff, and there's like the different levels of taxes at the tax collectors. That's what I do in my house when, at Halloween. There's like the dad tax, but then there's another tax. Wait, and there's you're another tax. modeling your life after Matthew pre-Jesus? Yeah. That doesn't seem Only wise. On Halloween. Only on Halloween. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Matthew <laughs> pre-Jesus. Is, that, is there just something wrong with that? <laughs> a disciple's a disciple, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> Jesus chose him for a reason. <laughs> because, because of his real shrewd money handling. Jesus goes, I like your style. Oh, right go. <laughs> so at CNN.com, there was a really interesting article that we just wanted to touch on called Sunday Sadness is Real. Here's how to battle the pre-work week blues. And It's I, not a pastor's article, by the way. Not okay, just to be clear. <laughs> because I can remember when, especially when I used to take Mondays off, I can remember this weird dichotomy. We'd go to small group, my wife and I, on Sunday nights. Okay. And I loved it. Because next day was a week, I wasn't working the next day, so I had all this energy. And there would come a point. There would come a point in the night where everybody else in the room, especially those who were going to work on Monday morning, like you could sense their anxiety no and their stress start to build. And I'm just like, let's hang out for a while. Like, like cool, another glass of wine. Exactly. Like, no, Brian. Exactly. And so. Uh, this article is trying to get at that. It says being happier will help you live longer. One study found 81% of more than 1,000 respondents said they become progressively more anxious as their restful Sunday comes to a close. Psychologists calls it, call it anticipatory anxiety. Hmm. So this kind of looking for My kids get this a little bit about school sometimes really? when the weekend is ending. And so this article is going to give us some helpful tips. Hopefully you find them helpful that you can incorporate to your Sundays uh, that will maybe help you uh, not uh, help your anxiety not go up as uh, the work week is about to begin. Why don't you go first? Well, it, it does also say, too, it's not just because people hate their jobs. Even Correct. people who said they love their work reported anxiety over job expectations and workload. So this isn't just for someone listening who's feeling this anxiety on Sunday because, ugh, I hate my job or I hate my boss. Or I'm point. so unfulfilled. It's like, oh, even people who loved it still felt like, oh, boy, what are we doing? Yep. All right, so the first one is exercise, not surprisingly. An excellent choice is exercise. Breaking a sweat has been shown to reduce anxiety and depression, boost mood, and enhance sleep. All good ways to combat Sunday stress. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, just five minutes of aerobic exercise can reduce anxiety. Did you have any idea that that nope. little exercise could actually have an impact? Nope. Five minutes, people. 
We can all do five minutes. We can do it. Jump up and down. Jumping jacks. Just do it. <laughs> do it for the rest of our segment. Yes. And you'll have completed the That's task for true. the day. That's true. Number two, uh, take a nature pill. Virtually uh, any form of exercise. Oh, no. Sorry. That is a heading for something else. <laughs> that is really funny. Did you see that? It does Did look, you read that that way, too? I, I certainly would have. This is some inside baseball about how these articles are printed. Don't take a nature pill. <laughs> that is really <laughs> Oh, goodness. That's funny. <laughs> oh, that is really funny. All, All right. right. I'm oh, going to go with this a, one. Well, there's a glitch in the mainframe. Avoid booze. <laughs> oh, that's the same thing. <laughs> so, now I'm scared to read anything here. I think it's an advertisement. Some folks turn to alcohol, even binging, to cope with their Sunday night blues. That's a poor choice. Alcohol rattles your normal sleep patterns, trapping you in lighter stages of sleep and dramatically reducing the quality of your rest at night. It continues to pull you out of rapid eye movement and the deeper stages of sleep, causing you to wake up uh, not feeling restored, Mm. said Rebecca Robbins, a postdoctoral research fellow in the Department of Population Health at NYU. Uh, People often party hearty on Friday and Saturday night. (laughs) CNN says no judgment. Uh, but know that binge drinking or drinking a lot in one sitting is associated with higher levels of depression, self-harm, suicide, and violence. Uh, if you do imbibe, try to keep Sunday alcohol-free. If that fails, be sure to stop drinking long before bedtime. Can I just say, hearing you say, people often party hardy <laughs> is my favorite moment of this entire show. <laughs> Those who like to party hardy, <laughs> as all the kids are now saying, I'm afraid to read any of these headings now. The next one says wind down, I think. Maybe it's a wind down. (laughs) Another ad for wind down. It's it's a wind-inspired down pillow. Uh, This is going to sound impossible, even sacrilegious, but try to avoid your cell phone and work email on Sunday. Being constantly connected, as Brian Brian texts on his phone right now, (laughs) (laughs) keeps us amped up even on our days off, discouraging relaxation. Does the idea make you even more nervous? Then try to check in as early in the evening on Sunday as you can. The National Sleep Foundation suggests at least 30 30 minutes of gadget-free transition time before hitting the hay. Do you do that 30 minutes before bed? I do not. In fact, that's usually the last thing I do is to read Twitter. No, get in bed? I do. Oh, Brian. Is that bad? Is that something wrong with that? No, I got everything's wrong. And I later they say charge your phone outside the bedroom. Mine charges literally right, right next to my head. So the ne- the first thing in the morning is you reach for it, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm not much better. I go from laptop right to sleep, so I, I can't really yeah. judge. Uh, yeah. Next one, journal. You can judge, but I appreciate you not. <laughs> journal your worries. Unconsciously worrying about all things you have to do Monday primes you for restless sleep, even insomnia. Use a technique long favored by stress management consultants. Write down a list of all the things you have to do Monday or even the entire week. You could go so far as prioritizing them. Not only will putting the tasks on paper jumpstart your Monday morning, you'll feel like you've purged your worries. Go Hmm. further if you like and write about other things in your life that worry you. Study shows that a great way to learn optimism and create a more positive outlook on life. In fact, writing in a journal has been scientifically shown to improve overall well-being, soothe patients with anxiety, and boost our immune systems. All right, number seven, insurance. Oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, boy. That's another ad. PJ. Just kidding. That's really funny. I added that one. You caught me. You caught me on that one. All right, practice good sleep hygiene. I don't think I've ever thought about whatever this is supposed to be. We're supposed to get between seven and ten hours of sleep each night. That's not happening, uh, depending on our age. Does that say a week for you? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) But the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says that a third of Americans sleep fewer than seven hours a night. 
guilty as charged. The good news is that you can train your brain to seek better sleep just as you train it to learn and accomplish other skills. Lack of sleep may be ruining your sex life. One of the first tasks is to set up your sleep environment and establish a relaxing bedtime routine. It's that repetition that will train your brain to recognize that it's time to relax and sleep. Start with the bedroom. Make sure your bed and pillows are comfortable and the room is cool. Between 60 and 67 degrees is best. I don't know that I agree with that. Don't watch TV <laughs> or work in your bedroom, Brian Fromm. Yep. You want your brain to think of the room as only for sleep. That's interesting. Do you Be have sh- a TV in your bedroom? We do not. I do. Uh, way to go. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Be sure to eliminate all bright lights. Oh, that's about, we have a disco ball in ours. Um, <laughs> as even the blue lights of cell phones or laptops can be disruptive. If that's hard to accomplish, think about using eye shades or blackout curtains to keep the room dark. Try to eliminate disturbing sounds as well. Does that include my snoring? <laughs> Earplugs or white noise machines can be very helpful, but you can create your own with a humidifier or a fan and try to spend at least an hour before bed doing something relaxing such as yoga, meditation, a warm soak in the tub, or reading a good book. But maybe not a murder mystery. <laughs> murder. Happy Halloween. So hopefully those are helpful for those of you uh, who feel stressed out as Monday comes. Well, as if that wasn't crazy enough, we're going to end our show this <laughs> wacky Halloween afternoon with some interwebs and interweb insanities coming up next year on the common good am 1160 hope for your life here's some weird stuff we found on the internet here's some more weird stuff we found on the web welcome back to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life alongside ian simpkins my name is brian from I'm, I'm, I'm a little scared about interweb insanity uh producer john or pj over there keith conrad all the craziness mixed in with Halloween, this mm-hmm. feels like we might be walking into something. Are you superstitious or just a little stitious? <laughs> no. I'm just a little stitious. Just a little yes. stitious. Perfect. <laughs> so for those of you who are new to the show, uh, Ian and I are going to read stories, crazy stories from the internet. Crazy. Hopefully they're funny, and uh, but we haven't seen them, so we're reading them sight unseen, uh, and uh, we will react to them as we go. Why don't you go first, my friend? Pennsylvania. Mother mm. charged after leaving baby with bus driver. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Uh, here we go. Authorities have arrested a lay Lehigh Lehigh really Lehigh, yes, Lehigh County woman who they say handed her one month old baby to a bus driver and walked away. Oh. Authorities on Monday charged 26 year old Ashley Walters of Whitehall with child endangerment. Oh my gosh! According to court documents, Walters boarded the bus in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, yes. Wow! On Saturday, placed her son on the fare box in a manger. <laughs> no. Oh, Brian. <laughs> There's no, there's no place in the inn, studies say, uh, and told the driver to call police because this was her son that she can't take care of. Oh, my gosh. This oh, is this a sad is one. Sad. The police report says she left the bus and walked away in tears. Pennsylvania's safe haven law allows babies no older than 28 days to be left at a hospital or police station. Walters remains held in jail. What? Oh, this is it's, a sad story. It's not known if she has retained a lawyer. Do you go out with friends? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. That, that is an awful story. Cow, who is responsible ter- for that one? PJ, is that you or is that Keith? That is always Keith. Okay. Always, always <laughs> terrible ones are Keith. Yes. That was a tough one. Boy, this one's going to be funnier. North Carolina. University library overrun with people in Spider-Man costumes. Students at the University of North Carolina were left baffled when dozens of st- people in Spider-Man costumes flooded into the library for a brief stunt. <laughs> a video recorded Tuesday shows that Spider-Men jumping around on tables and pretending to shoot webs, with some of the superheroes pretending to type on computers and approaching studying students. That's funny. The Spider-Men stunt lasted only a few moments before they scattered. The reason behind the Spider-Man gathering was unclear, <laughs> but it really? occurred right before Halloween. <laughs> University police said the incident was not reported by students and it does not appear that the stunt put anyone in danger. 
If anything, it helped keep people safe. <laughs> right? You're, what's it, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Is that right? <laughs> okay. Arizona. Arizona National Forest one-ton boulder called Wizard Rock goes missing. Hmm. What? Aliens. Hey, what? <laughs> my guess. <laughs> you just said that so nonchalant. Yep. Aliens. It's aliens. totally aliens. A one-ton boulder known as Wizard Rock. I just read all that. The popular landmark described as a, quote, beautiful black boulder with white quartz running through it went missing two weeks ago from Prescott National Forest. The U.S. Forest Service said Monday in a news release. It was believed someone used, quote, heavy equipment to remove the boulder. <laughs> wow, what super sleuthing. Uh, it's unfortunate when we lose a treasure such as the Wizard Rock, said Sarah Clausen, district ranger for the Bradshaw Ranger District. Our hope is that it will be returned to us, and these recent recurring events... Recurring? This has been happening a lot? Crazy. ...will become an educational opportunity. I got five pieces of candy. I got a chocolate bar. I got a quarter. I got a rock. (laughs) (laughs) How about that? That was a good one. That was really good. Uh, Maryland, woman reportedly couldn't hear toilet running, gets $5,000 bill. What? A Maryland woman whose son says she couldn't hear her toilet running because she's deaf has received a nearly $5,000 water bill. The Frederick News Post reports Denise Sanzanese was told to pay at least some of the amount Thursday. Her son Blake noticed the toilet running on a recent trip home from college. Sanzanese and her son said they watched a video online that showed them how to fix the toilet. He says she went to the city to address the bill but was told there isn't an interpreter available to help her. The newspaper says its phone calls and messages to city officials weren't returned Monday. Sanzini says the city told her a letter was left on her door about the water, but she says she never saw it. Oh! That's the whole drop. <laughs> I don't know what that even was. Just who? We're going we're gonna to power through that one. Also, if your last name's Sansonese, don't name your daughter Denise. <laughs> Denise Sansonese? Are you kidding me? All right. Last but not least, good t- Tennessee. Tennessee home sellers don't have to disclose paranormal activity, comma, deaths. Why am I getting all these ones today? Jeez Louise. Is this also Keith? He's not going to answer. <laughs> Analysis by real estate marketplace Zillow finds in most states, home sellers don't have to disclose if their house is believed to be haunted. The company analyzed state laws which cite paranormal activity and found only New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Minnesota had laws dealing with paranormal activity disclosure. Only nine states have laws on disclosing a death on the property within a certain time period. Are you kidding me? In California, <laughs> sellers must disclose the death within three years, one year in Alaska, and in South Dakota, sellers must disclose it Outright. Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, New Hampshire, New Jersey, and South Carolina must disclose a death, but only if asked. <laughs> what? In Tennessee, there are no state laws on paranormal activity disclosure, and a seller does not have to disclose if there was a homicide or suicide on the property, as long as it did not affect the physical structure. When you sold me this house, you forgot to mention one little thing. You didn't tell me it was built on an Indian burial ground! No, you didn't! Well, that's not my recollection. <laughs> yeah, well, all right, goodbye. <laughs> he says he mentioned it five or six times. Uh, that's funny. You have to ask him, hey, how's the water here? How's this? Any deaths recently? Yeah, that's a, that's a weird question to have to ask, yep, but I yep. guess now that we know. And knowing is half the battle. They should not name her Denise Sanzanese, but Clarice. That would have been a good one. Oh, you just had it. You've been stewing on that one, haven't I you? I have. Happy Halloween, everybody. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. And here's the key, Auntie. 